Hello, welcome back to Being Black with Camille Smith. Today we are welcoming Shayla. This episode is sponsored by Women Who Engineer, the epicenter for women in and aspiring to be in STEM. Follow them on Instagram for a daily dose of women kicking ass. Shayla is from Bridgeport, Connecticut and attended Villanova University with me. She majored in environmental studies and political science and now attends Penn Law. Her interests include singing, gardening, foraging, and thrifting. Um, just so the audience knows, I, this is like a very full circle moment for me. Uh, both of us attended Villanova University and I was a freshman while Taylor was a junior. Yeah. Correct me if I was wrong. Yeah. Um, and I don't want, I hate to put this like much weight on her, but like, as you guys know, like I came from predominantly white background and seeing Chayla was like the first like black girl that I saw, like just being herself in a predominantly white space. And I was like whoa (laughs) that's what I'm gonna do um it was just so cool like she's just so incredibly genuine and authentic and just like herself and I just really gravitated towards her and she was so awesome and taking me under her wing and like talking to me about things um and I I I will always you know give people their flowers like when I can and like that's really you mean so incredibly you're so important to me um, be able to talk to you now and um, talk to you about this, which is really, really cool, especially for me too, because Fulbright was something that I uh, had thought about as well, and I still think about occasionally. So I think this will be really beneficial for people as well. But before we get to that, um, Chayla, what does being Black mean to you? Well, okay, first, let me say that that introduction was unfair because you're also <laughs> awesome. And I'm just happy to be here and connect with you again, again, just having this moment. Um, and I guess segueing into your question about what being Black means to me, I think it's exactly what we're doing now. It's expression, it's strength, it's resilience. Um, and I think collectively, Black people have been the foundation of pretty much everything um, in our social context, in our world what we see, what we use. And for me, it's a great reminder to really occupy the space that I'm in and make my presence known as a black person. And I think what comes with that is this kind of level of knowing that everyone's looking at you, like you're kind of like the spectacle. Um, But in a way you can take that and be okay, I'm the spectacle. So I'm the odd one now, or it's okay, I'm the spectacle. Let's show everyone who we are. And let's again, like maximize the opportunity to be in this space. And I think of being a Villanova, a predominantly white institution, it's like, it's really obvious to know, it is in my mind, like that I was the black person in the room. Um, but I just use that as an example or as a way to show that we're resilient, that we're strong, that we're expressive, um, that we're unique. We're not a monolith, um, but we really contribute to a conversation. We contribute to kind of panoply of what America is so yeah so do you have an actual concrete memory of like the first instant that you realized like oh I'm black or oh I might be different from other people yeah this is like a really good question because I was thinking back on this and I'm like hmm when did I realize that I think it might be a common experience where you're young you have some friends that are down the street and like hey Chayla like let's go swim like let's go swim at you know x person's house and I remember going home to my mom saying, hey, mom, like Erica and Jessica, which is their names, you want me to go swimming with them? Can I go? And it's a Saturday. And the next day we had church, we had two services. And my mom, 
straight up was like, you can't go because if your hair gets wet, I don't have time to do it. And we have church tomorrow. Your hair is not like other people's hair because of just like who you are. And then I realized that I was like different than the people that I was seeing and that I had, you know, a different experience and I had to approach things differently. And I think that was a really important moment. But then obviously when you're older, it's much more salient. It's something as simple as people who can't pronounce your name, or it's like, again, like walking in a room and not seeing anyone who looks like you. Um, or just, again, filling out a census form or some doctor's form where you say, hey, I'm Black or African-American. So it's much different when you're older, but I first realized it when I couldn't go swimming because uh, doing my hair was not an easy feat, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you have to wear like the swim caps or like try to because- I wore like a actual shower cap like it was that yeah I was just like oh man everyone's like why is she wearing a shower cap but <laughs> I mean our hair is again it's beautiful and it's true mm-hmm. and our skin is too so <laughs> yeah, so whatever but as a child it's like oh man yeah, like you're moving out it's just big it's you can argue that it's a salient thing but I think at that point you're trying to figure out why there's such a difference like why is Erica and Jessica's hair look different than mine um, but I think as I get older, I'm realizing that it happens on a daily basis where you realize again that I'm this, you know, I'm part of this group or I'm a black person. So talk about like growing up in Connecticut, like how was it growing up in your area? Did anything shift, you know, when you ended up going to Villanova or was it the same? Yeah. So I will die in this hill. Like Bridgeport is the best city in the entire country. And I love where I grew up. I love the people that I was around. Um, Bridgeport is a city that has been plagued with a lot of, you know, socioeconomic issues. Um, and people often will say it's a place where it's not as safe and there's violence and all of that. But I always think of it as a place where it's like the actual melting pot that everyone thinks America is. Like I can walk down the street and get like Jamaican food and then like take drive two, two minutes and get Turkish food or like Lebanese food. And it's just like a really culture diverse place. Um, I went to public schools my entire life. So for me, I was always in a diverse environment, um, both going in Bridgeport and then being in high school in Stratford. So I love that my parents didn't force anything on me. They naturally allowed for me to understand the differences between people. Mm-hmm. And they just reminded me that, you know, people can talk about where you're from all the time, but it's just like, a, again, an uh, opportunity for you to say that I'm from Bridgeport, but like now I'm in this space. Um, and you put like these negative thoughts on people from my city, but we're clearly like, you know, breaking the mold. Um, it's a great city, great creatives um, and artists and athletes and musicians and all of that. The change was definitely going to Villanova. I think that I had always been around, let's say for instance, like white people, but at Villanova, it's obviously on a maximized level. Um, and not even so much the dichotomy between race, but just like actual way of life. And um, I think I, I, was, I was meeting people at the ex, like the exact same background from the exact same race, from the exact same state or like whatever city. And so there wasn't much variation. Like you would get the same type of maybe New England, Caucasian, Villanovan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that going into it, it was just, a, it was juxtaposed from my really diverse um, and like varied experience in high school and in middle school and elementary school. So that definitely changed. And um, 
you kind of learn to adapt with that change, not a way of like you're losing who you are, but just understanding your environment and being able to communicate in a way where people can still like find that respect for you and give you the opportunity to kind of sit at the table in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it changed probably when I got to college. Okay. And then do you have advice for your younger self? Oh, advice, everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a few things. I think the first piece of advice I have for myself is to really focus on my education. Like I think children who, I think parents who emphasize putting their children in the correct space to really like grow um, their soft skills or their hard skills or knowledge, like they're, they're just in a, they're just ahead of the game. Like you can put yourself in a great position to go to college for free, for instance. Like I, I should have went to Villanova for free because it's possible for anyone. Um, think about all, all the black press scholars and people who have been able to really get scholarship money at these institutions. So just, I think that's a big thing, like put education first and really hone in on that. Um, two, I think is to kind of grow and like grow where you're planted. I was always searching for something like, I was like, okay, I'm here at Villanova, but like there's something greater for me or I can like be the better, better person in whatever space over there. But I think if you really understand that you're in a position, whatever position that you're in, there's a way to grow and imbue a sense of um, motivation to people around you. I think that's something I lacked in my more formative years. Um, and then I probably would just say, Just be a bit, like more spontaneous. Um, we're young. I, I like to think that I'm young. And <laughs> yeah, and then to a certain point, you know, the things that we have access to won't really be as accessible. So just to be more spontaneous and try new things out um, along the way. And confidence. Confidence is key always. Always, 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 always. So. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more about self-confidence. That was something that I was like very late to the party on. I think a lot of people are, I think, and I, I mean, we can go into the history of it, but just, I think again, as black women, we're either told to be like overly confident to the point where nothing can shake us or we're in a position where we have no confidence because everything's trying to shake us. So it's kind of hard to determine if you're going to be like this, you know, at B or at A. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's hard to really build confidence like in high school, like high school is a weird place. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? It's like, everyone's weird. I'm trying to figure out what they want to do. Like people are trying to make friends, like all that. And then at college when you're on your own and you have to like, you know, make your own schedule and do these type of presentations and apply for jobs and like student groups and all that. You're like, Oh, I have to really present myself in a certain way. So it happens then. I think it's important for people like you and what you're doing now. Um, highlighting what it is to have self-confidence just being unapologetically you and not really you know and not, not say you shouldn't care about what people think about you because i think reputation is important to, to an extent but again like be expressive um be kind be mindful but once you understand like what your purpose is you don't have nerves anymore like you're nervous when you feel like you don't have your purpose and think that's like a really you know connected to confidence mm -hmm. uh, but now I mean, look at you, you're doing your podcast and you're confident and it's, it's all coming now. So even if it, you thought it was late to the game, at least you're walking in it now. It's really interesting that you mentioned the purpose thing because I'm huge. Like, I think growing up people are like, oh, like words don't mean anything. But like, in my opinion, like words mean a lot. Yeah. Um, and like really, 
I took the time before, you know, starting this and I didn't even know that I was going to start this, but like articulating, like, what do I want my purpose to be? What do I feel that my purpose is? What do I feel comfortable, you know, doing or what do I feel my calling is? I have like a legitimate, you know, purpose statement. And I feel like after, you know, writing it down, I literally have it, um, once iPhones like updated, like you have like the widgets on your screen, but I like have it like on my screen, like what I see every day. Um, and it's really true after, you know, having that, I feel like I just haven't been as nervous about things as much. Don't get me wrong. Like I still overthink things occasionally, but, um, I don't know. I, I think definitely having, um, if you, if you feel comfortable with what you feel your purpose is, or you know, in your mind, your soul, whatever the case may be, like what it is, and like, you really don't experience those nerves. So I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people, people think purposes is like eclipse, like you're, you're in the wilderness and like the stars align. You're like, oh man, like my purpose is revealed to me. Like, wow, I had this moment that everyone talks about. It's like the alchemist almost. You're like, you're waiting for this like big moment. And it's like purpose is often revealed in really kind of minute and hidden ways. When you're like just experiencing someone or something, you're like, oh, wow, this is what I think I've been called to do. So Mm -hmm. we get that out of our minds and just know who we are and, you know, seek within ourselves who we want to be. I think purpose like will start to reveal itself naturally. I couldn't agree more. Um, so today we're gonna be talking about being black and a Fulbright scholar um just another reason why I'm obsessed with Chayla as a person (laughs) but um Chayla had the opportunity to be a Fulbright scholar um and I really think that it's important because first of all I always feel like I heard about so I went to public school my entire life as well um but the certain professors that I got like super close with like they would talk about like oh in college you can apply to you know, the Rhodes Scholars and the Fulbright Scholars and all of these scholarships and da 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 um, But then to know someone that actually, you know, did it and was Black, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's super cool. So I think that it'd be really, really nice to, um, A, you know, get to know more about your experience, like from my personal benefit, but also I think um, normalizing the fact that Fulbright Scholarships are not just for um, white people, they can be for people of color and especially Black women. So talk about your experience just like applying in the first place like when did you start applying yeah yeah thanks so much for letting me chat about it um so okay so I was thinking law school I was like I'm gonna graduate go straight through um but my interest in like environmental policy and law I felt could be explored better through research I was working on a research project with my um senior advisor at Villanova at the time. And he was saying, I think you should really explore some research before you go into law school. Law school is like very niche and you might have the opportunity after. So I attended an um, information session at Villanova and I was like, hmm, I think I can maybe like swing this. Like, I don't know, I'll think about it. So I started applying, kind of getting my application together. I would say the spring semester of my junior year at Villanova. And then I spent that summer really refining my application, figuring out what country I wanted to apply to, um, what my project really would be, who, you know, who my uh, letters of recommendation would be. And then the application, you're obviously helped through, you know, through this process. Like there's a department at Villanova who aids you. Um, but then the application wasn't due until I want to say like 
October. Like it was due to Villanova in October, but then due to the Fulbright, like November. So you have a few months to start working on it. Some people come to college and they're like, I want to do Fulbright, Fulbright. And they might start their application or at least get kind of like the engine running like sophomore year. And that's really up to you. Some people aren't exposed to it. Like I wasn't exposed to it until really my junior year. Um, and so I spent a few months really, just, I think the hardest part was figuring out like where I wanted to go. Cause you're living somewhere for, you know, nine months to a year. And you don't want to go to a place that might not welcome your project or might not be as safe. Um, so those are all kind of the considerations that I had. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that, thinking about why Fulbright was so important to me. Like why is going somewhere else to research an issue that's happening in my city, such this like monumental experience for me. Um, and I think for me, There's obviously things happening in Bridgeport where I'm from and happening in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or whatever, but to think about these issues in a global context really reiterates the fact that like we need to be people who appreciate what's happening everywhere. Like, we can't be like, I love human rights like in Bridgeport, but forget the human rights in like Namibia, for instance. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about why this is so important to me, how long it would take for me to really cultivate a strong application and what message I wanted to convey, like my personal statement and things like that. So fast forward, mm -hmm. you applied um, with the help of, what is that center? It's called the Research and Fellowship Center, something close to that. Yeah. Um, but you got like, you know, the notification that you not, not just were, cause I'm pretty sure you can get like the semi-finalist notification. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they were like, Yo, you're going to Namibia, like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the semi-finalist notification, I'm trying to think. Um, well, that's like a big thing. That happened in January. So the, the timeline is kind of a while. You're waiting to hear back and through the process, you're still applying for jobs in case you don't get it because you need to have something lined up. But mm -hmm. the semi-finalist notification actually was the day of like Villanova's like who's who dinner or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of my friends who are at the dinner we're also applying to Fulbright and like we all kind of found out like right at the dinner we we're all like hanging out like our, our phones were like hanging and I was like with my close friend Brian King who's a dear friend of mine from Villanova and he also was a Fulbright and he was like Jay like did you get this email and I'm like I don't know I don't want to check and then I got the email and I was like oh Brian this is amazing um but then when I found out I got it it was like I was walking under, under the tunnel from West Campus to the library to meet two of my close girlfriends on the phone, my sister, Chelsea, and we're talking about like guacamole or something. I'm like, oh, I wish I had guacamole. Like, I'm so hungry. Like today's been such a stressful day. Like I'm just over, I had my work study that day. And I was like, hold on, hold on. Like I, I'm like getting this, these emails and I go and check and I like literally just swiped it down for a second. And I was just like, no way. Like I was like, absolutely no way, <laughs> no way. I'm like walking up to Valerie. I'm like, Chelsea, there's no way I can't answer my phone right now. She's like, what? So I put her on speaker and I like open it up and I just bawled. I'm just bawling my eyes out to my sister. I'm like, I can't believe this. And because I just put in the trenches, like applying for that, you know, application. And I, I really was trying to put myself in a good position, like even networking at Villanova and like student groups. And like, I was overwhelmed, like, to be honest with life at the time. Um, and I think it was just a moment where everything just made sense. I was like, okay, this is, this is exactly what God has for me. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to live somewhere else. I'm going to become this person who has this experience. And 
environmental issues are obviously really important and some people in another country also think so and yeah it was amazing I called my parents and like they were all happy that I saw two of my best friends in the, in the library shortly after so it was just like this beautiful moment it was the sun was setting the weather was perfect it was just like yeah it was, it was insane <laughs> so now fast forward to actually spending time there so what was talk about like your time in Namibia what did you actually do like what was your project yeah um, yeah 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 so project so to like break it down so it's not like so wordy it's basically it was a research project looking at communal conservation in Namibia and the implications of communal conservation on community empowerment community empowerment being education resources finances um, environmental like ownership and awareness um, but also understanding because like for instance Namibia is the only one of the only countries who has like provisions in their constitution to protect the environment. So they're really big on like environmental protection or at least acknowledging that it's a major aspect of their, um, their, um, their livelihood. And so what I wanted to do was to go into some smaller, more like rural areas and understand the mechanisms and kind of this like democratic structure where people in the community were managing their own local resources and then using that to like make money for their village to um, employ some of the people that were living there to make, you know, to make money and all that, all that other stuff. So to give you an example, um, let's say, so like in the, um, the Himba region, for instance, like the Northern part of Namibia, a lot of the women will take like local, um, like fruits or like nuts that can be dried up and like take those dried up nuts to the city and then sell those like dried up nuts to like tourists and people in the city and then take that money and like bring it back and let's say like help their community and like kind of revitalize what's happening in the community. So it's all about like communal conservation, environmental policy, environmental law, all that. Away from all that flush, I worked with like a few affiliates and to do Fulbright, you need like affiliate letters. So I worked with the World Wildlife Fund of Namibia, the University of Namibia, and then the Legal Assistance Center. So I was kind of doing like a three-tier project looking at environmental and tourism with the World Wildlife Fund, yeah, the, you know, the, the implications of that on like animals and all that. And then the university working with lecturers and students and then the Legal Assistance Center doing like legal claims. So it was, kind of, it was a pretty dense project. And I think I could have had another year. Like I would have probably preferred like an extra year to really round out the, um, the work. But the more social aspect of it was um, incredible. Like I'm truly tied to the country. Like it's so near and dear to my heart because again, like I said to you, like purpose isn't this like big eclipse thing. But for me, like I really found who I was in Namibia um, because I was like living alone dealing with like problems that I didn't really deal with when I was home. Like, and it's like simple things, Camille, like when your car has issues, like do you go to your like mom or like your dad to help you fix your mm -hmm. car and like stuff mm -hmm. like that? Like my car would just like break down in the middle of like a Namibian street. I don't speak the language that, <laughs> that most people do speak. And I'm like, okay, Chayla, like you need a problem solve. Like you need, you can't sit here and cry. You can't sit here and like call your dad. Like you gotta figure it out. So I was learning a lot about myself. Like, oh, I'm actually like more, I'm stronger than I think. Like I can, I can do all this on my own because as a Fulbright, you're not really being like handheld with mm -hmm. some, you know, the state department or whatever. So 
Um, I traveled a lot. I met a lot of incredible people who are still my friends and I still try to connect with them. The time difference is pretty, you know, rough, but I still make time to like hop on a FaceTime or hop on a WhatsApp video call and chat with them. Um, the biggest highlight was working with a school in Namibia and I was a volunteer teacher um, for roughly about six months with the school and really helped kind of get their admin like more administrative sides up. So having actual um, like a database with all like this, you know, the, the learners names and how we can collect certain like school fees and finances and like what environmental classes will we have? How are we teaching English? Can we bring in a Western curriculum? Like, so I worked with the school there. I got really close with the director, really close with the children. Um, and I'm still in contact with them. I'm, I'm now like on the board of directors for the school making sure that we have, you know, some things in place. So it was just like incredible. I, it's sometimes hard to even put into words because I'm just like, it's an experience that if you experience it, you would understand, but it's hard. And that's, I, I get it. Not everyone's gonna be able to like travel, live somewhere for a year, but when you have to adapt to another country and like their way of life, you just learn so much about the world and who you are and like how different America is, um, how marginalized we are in a sense too. Like it just, just as a nation, it's compared to this, you know, just different way of um, like communal understanding. Uh, so I just, it was just incredible. I loved it. I would go back in a heartbeat, but I can't cause I'm in school. Um, but I definitely maximized my time. Like I traveled, I met people, I went to like different art events and like community events and round tables. And, um, I had, like I hosted an event on black Panther and like the images of Africa from the Western perspective and like all those things. Like, cause when I was going to Namibia, everyone was like, Oh man, like did you get all your shots? Like, did you, are you going to be like living with animals? And I'm like, no, like there aren't just animals roaming the street in like a city in, in Southern Africa. But the perception that I was getting from a lot of my friends and family here in America was exactly what they were expecting for me to say. So it was really enlightening. It's really interesting that you mentioned, um, like, I don't want to say comparing, but really like thinking and reflecting on like, your life in the States because I was able to study abroad. Now granted, I studied abroad in Europe and that's a very, you know, different environment. But I will say that my entire time while I was there, I was like, we don't do this in the States. Like we, <laughs> we don't do this at all. Um, we're not as nice to people. Like we don't, you know, traveling is much more expensive, you know, uh, in Europe, at least in my experience, it was much easier to get different places. Um, people were much nicer when it came to, you know, simply like asking for directions. Like we weren't as, we're much more fast paced here, like things like that. And I think that was a very, um, like, I'll say like, a, like a, a natural thing to do all the time. It was like, oh, like we don't do this at home. This is cool, but we don't yeah. do Okay. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's just so, it's just a different world. Like, again, when you travel, you understand how differently things could operate if people just change the way they thought about other people mm -hmm. like you're, you're, I don't know you're out, out to you're out somewhere and like your friends sisters are getting married and, and they need you to go pick up some like cattle from someplace x you just all go and make sure that it's all done and handled and it's like people really look out for each other in a sense um I think there but yeah I loved it and I'm, I'm happy you were able to study abroad I wish I did that at Villanova and I didn't so studying abroad was was that was my pivot point because I had never been out of the country prior to that. Um, cried a lot in the airport. <laughs> but once I got there, I was like, this is cool. And it was also interesting that you mentioned like 
when your car would break down and you didn't, you know, speak the language that a lot of the people like spoke. Like I went to Italy and I never spoke a lick of Italian. And I think like something very specific about like the United States and something that I didn't realize that I was kind of feeding into is I just kind of picked a country and just kind of assumed that they were going to adapt to me because I was from the U.S. Right. And that kicked me in the face because I have a really, really bad um, peanut and Trina allergy. And I went to my first restaurant and I was like, I literally can't tell them. Like, I, I can't communicate to them that I have this allergy. So I was like sitting really, really, really frustrated because I was like, I can't, like, I can't. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I totally understand. Like, and just, but there are also things that I like wish were, like they were in the States. And that's like me being, you know, a little bit selfish. And I mean, you can call it whatever it is, but like at a restaurant, if something comes out and it's wrong, it's not like they're going to take it back and take it off your bill. It's like, you better just figure it out. Like if you don't like it, like that's too bad. And I'm like, no, where's the customer service? So <laughs> there's just differences and you have to learn to adapt to it. But it's, again, it shows you a lot about who you are. Um, and it's just good to step out of your comfort zone and get to know people who they are, not like all that comes with them. So I, I really enjoyed my time there. So coming back to the States, mm-hmm. were you like ready or was it more of like an emotional, like, like you said, you could have another year, you know, to do your research or yeah. do your research. How was that? Yeah. So, um, it was definitely emotional probably for a number of reasons. One, just being like, oh, like I did it. Like I, I finished this experience out and it exceeded my expectations. Um, but also I was obviously missing my family, like thinking ahead, like what's next for me? Is what's next for me law school? Is it, is it working? Um, is it more traveling? Like, you know, what's really in my future? Um, so it was definitely a moment of like accomplishment. It's like, oh, great. I can live anywhere now. I can do anything now. Um, but I, I really miss it dearly. It's just a, a wonderful place. It's beautiful. It's naturally abundant. And um, like the produce is fresh. The air is clean. Like everything. It's just, it, it's just a wonderful place. So I, I was sad about having to take that, you know, 28 hour flight back home and reflect on everything. And I was, I was pretty emotional. Um, because I had life experience there, you know, I celebrated, you know, Christmas there and um, Valentine's Day there and like New Year's, like all those things were um, special. So, yeah. And now you go to Penn Law. I will say that I, again, I've like, there's certain people I think in your life that you will always be like emotionally like invested in and you just were one of those people for me. Oh, thank you, Camille. You're, you're being so sweet to me. Stop it, please. I'm so serious. And like, I, I, I really don't, <laughs> that's something about me. I don't like compliment people if I don't feel like the need to, if I don't genuinely feel like, oh, I really want to, you know, tell them, but like words of affirmation is my love language. So um, you're just one of those people that I really like, you know, emotionally was invested in and regardless of whether we were close by any means or we talked all the time, like that was, you know, we didn't have to do that, but like, yeah. I went in, I went on LinkedIn one day and I saw that you had posted about like getting into Penn Law and I was like, this is so (laughs) excited. Like I was like, oh my gosh. And I don't even think that we had talked. Um, I'm like super, super close with, well, shout out to Aaron, Um, but Aaron Sykes. And I was like, 
gosh, like, children on the pen law, like, we can do anything, like, oh. <laughs> excited. Oh um, but how is your transition into law school? Like, is it as bad as people say? <laughs> um, are you enjoying it so far? You're in your first year, so. In my first year, yeah. Um, oh my, you're so kind. That was, that was so sweet. Um, yeah, am I enjoying it? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, like trying to think of how I want to structure this answer. Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it. I think this is exactly where I want it to be and like I need to be. Intellectually, it's the most stimulating environment I've ever been in. Um, it's intellectually challenging, stimulating, gratifying. Um, and I think that's, again, thinking about what like what my next step would be, this, this is it. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I'm enjoying my time at Penn because I feel like my section, like my section mates, my peers all contribute um, very unique perspectives to class. They're all very different. So in terms of as how diverse certain schools can get, I think that I'm enjoying the fact that I can speak with people and meet people from different backgrounds. Um, the work is challenging. I mean, first year is like, this is my first year perspective. So I'm sure like a 3L will tell you like, it's totally fine. But like first year, it's like, you're reading like 150 plus pages a week type of thing. So that's like, you know, like that's a different type of vibe. Um, <laughs> uh, so the work is rigorous, but... I mean, you're, you're, you're only, because the work is so rigorous, you're forced to like grow as an, uh, you know, as a reader, as a writer, as a public speaker, as someone who can really express their thoughts. So again, it's intellectually gratifying because I'm doing all this work that's challenging, but then I'm coming out of it with a new perspective and I'm understanding how everything really works. Like certain things that we think are illegal, like aren't really illegal, it's just like a way of life. And certain things that we don't think are illegal like might be illegal. And I'm like now understanding all of the nuances of how everything is really moving and interacting. So I've enjoyed the subject matter. I think once I go into like the upper class in years and I can really pick my courses that are more relevant to what I'm interested in, um, then that will be more fitting. Um, but the first year of courses are just like routine things like constitutional law, criminal law and all that stuff. My purpose coming out of it is to eventually work in a firm, but maybe long-term go into the more like governance, international, environmental, law, human rights space. Um, I think environmental justice and policy and social policy are really important kind of fields to understand and to study. And I'm really interested in like, well, back at Villanova, um, in my department, like the best department ever, I'm just gonna shout it out. But we did a lot of like mapping, like GIS mapping, linear modeling, and um, I'm getting my master's in social policy to really understand like the mapping and like social con uh, social implications of like legal problems. Like, okay, you want to build this place. Like you want to develop this building in this community that has no green space. Like what are the implications of that for communities of color? And that's always been really fascinating to me. Um, so I've enjoyed it and hopefully, you know, it gets better, but like, do I sleep? Like, no. Do I find time to do things for myself? Not really. But there's someone out there, like when it gets really hard, I know there's someone out there like it's like depending on me and that's really, really motivating. And it's not always someone who's like a senior in, in, at Villanova or in college. It's like an eight-year-old girl, black girl somewhere who wants to be a lawyer eventually. So that's really motivating. Yeah, no, I, I have the privilege of meeting a 
black woman dermatologist named Camille. Um, And that's something that hopefully I will eventually be able to do. And, you know, talking to her and I was like, you don't understand like the implications of you existing. Um, Yes. Like just being a person, you know, existing in this space, being enthusiastic about what you're doing is so incredibly monumental. And it's, I think it's unfortunate that, um, I, you know, I have to put that weight on her. They're like, wow, (laughs) like I feel as though similar to you, you're the reason that I feel as though like this could even be a thing, but I don't know. I'll, I'll always yell from the rooftops. I think representation is so incredibly important. And even though I'm not interested in necessarily being a lawyer, like seeing you like do it, like just pursuing, you know, education after getting your bachelor's degree. Okay, cool. Like Chayla's doing it. Dope. I can do it too. Right, right. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm like a first generation college student per se. Like my, both my parents only have their associate's degrees, which is a two-year program. So they haven't even completed their bachelor's degree. And so for me, it was really important to have mentors um, that look like me um, and to also just like understand that I could do it. Like it, it might take a little bit, you know, more like my mom or my dad isn't the CEO of some ex company who can like pay for me to get into Penn law. But, um, I think mentorship is so important and I I literally would not be where I am or be able to like speak to my experiences in in this confident way. If it wasn't for black women who looks like me, who aided me in the process, but it's also not always just like women of color. I mean, I've had mentors that are, you know, from other races and from other genders and they've all been really vital but I think mentorship just across the board is what everyone really needs because you can think you're doing your thing and you send that like personal statement in they're like girl this is this, this is trash like you need to fix xxxx but if you don't have mentors or people to really guide you then it's you know it's hard to really find your way so I, I'm the biggest proponent of representation but also mentorship. No I agree too um, yeah. and on that note uh, do you have absolutely anything else that you want to plug or talk about or that you want the audience to know? Yeah, I think one thing I want to say is that what you're doing and um, the confidence that you have to create this forum and to just be who you are and being apologetically yourself is, is so important. Um, I think we get into this idea that if we don't have every single thing laid out and planned out, and we're not the expert at X thing that we can't do it, but taking the initiative like you're taking is so important for our community because again, there's someone out there that's depending on you. So just really maximize the space that you're in. And it's not always, you know, you're the president of, of the, some national club, but if it's even like you running some grassroots organization in a county with 60 people, just maximize the space and um, really be authentic with people. So I think authenticity will often take you very far and put you in a position where you can have conversations like this um, and make, I think not just like meaningful change, but like consistent change that's pervasive. Um, So I'm really happy to be here and I'm really honored to speak with you and thank you for having me. And yeah, this is so wonderful. I'm going to try not to cry. (laughs) Yes, that is our goal for the week and for the month and for the rest of our lives. Yes. Maximize our space. 
Um, it's something that I'm still working on. Again, I told you, like, I kind of made this podcast and was like, oh, we're going to see what happens. People right. think that I should do it. Yeah. Um, but I have grown, you know, I started it in January and now I can edit stuff and I can yeah. videos and audio <laughs> files. Like that was not, that yeah. I couldn't do that prior. So yeah, I'm so proud of you. I think people look at other people like, oh my gosh, they have everything like together. Like they're just so, com- you know, composed and poised. And like, there's always a moment that you have doubt, but I think it's important to have a good support team and to understand again, like where your purpose is, because then you'll expect things from yourself and you'll expect things from other people. Um, so don't doubt yourself. Again, there's always someone watching. There's someone out there who's like, Oh man, I see what Camille's doing. And like, maybe I'll start like blogging or something, or I'll start blogging and like, I'll start writing and that happens and that's fine. You know, I think you got to really just be willing to accept, um, guidance and support and like constructive criticism i'm really proud of you i think what you're doing is great and you should continue to do it and make the space for you know women who want to go into stem want to go into engineering who want to go into all that you know continue to make the space thank you um to viewers soon so i don't start crying on youtube um but thank you again Sheila, for taking the time to talk with me i think it's super important um, and if you're new here, take time to subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, like it and follow it and leave a rating and <laughs> comment if you would like. Um, but again, Chayla, thank you so, so much. I can't articulate how much you mean to me as a person and I'm rooting for you and know that like, I mean, at least me and Aaron are rooting for you. <laughs> Everybody is rooting for you. I see one person and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm so serious. Like, I'm very, very much emotionally invested in you as a person. And even if we don't, you know, talk every day, seeing, you know, those updates on LinkedIn or seeing those updates on Instagram, whatever the case may be, just makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Person and being authentic. <laughs> and, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, we're ending the episode because- you're so sweet thank you for having me you're so sweet thank you guys for tuning in i really really appreciate it and be back next week for another being black episode bye